0: All right. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our wonderful praise team leading us in a powerful time of worship. Let's just thank the praise team one more time. Come on. Uh, The praise team is just coming back because they had the privilege to lead worship at Jubilee Church's retreat this past weekend. So they're coming straight from the retreat. They just led a morning service, and they came straight here to lead worship with us. And uh, I heard it was a powerful time. Uh, Praise the Lord. All right. I will look forward to hearing more about it. But praise the Lord that God is just uh, using the sons of the house to be sent out uh, to be a blessing to, uh, to other houses. Um, also, today we have a whole bunch of people from Itaewon that are joining us for service so that they can ju- take the membership class after the service. If you're from Itaewon, just raise your hand. Let us know who you are. Come on. Be, be loud and proud. Come on. Mary, you want to break dance for us a little bit? We have a lot of artistic people at Itaewon. All right, very good. And uh, as you guys know, this is the last Sunday of the month. Next Sunday, April 1st, the only fool on April Fool's Day is going to be the devil. We're going to punch him in the mouth with the church plant in Busan. So our church has been praying and preparing for it. So we have 10 wonderful sons and daughters that have moved down to that city. And they have uh, looked for jobs. They quit their jobs here and they went down and looked for jobs there. Most of them, most of them have gotten jobs. And uh, they are preparing for the opening service. So next Sunday, Pastor Aaron and I are both going to go down and want to break up the ground through the Word of God, through preaching. And I believe our brother Roy is going to be leading worship. Is that right? Is it Caleb or is it Roy? Oh, Caleb should be, okay. All right. So I'm not sure who I'm okay with. Is it Caleb or Roy? All right, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, it'll be wonderful. It'll be wonderful. So we're really excited about that. I can't believe it's happening already, right? I mean, it was just two years ago we did the detail church plan. I mean, two years from now, you know, who knows what church plan we're going to be doing. right? All right? Man, I mean, so, you know, we've been praying about different cities. I mean, first it was like across the river. Now it's like domestically, you know, across the nation. Next thing you know, we're going to be going to another nation. Man, it's a little scary, a little <laughs> scary. No, but it's, it's, it's going to be awesome. Uh, God's just going to take us from glory to glory. I want to take a moment. I want us to pray for uh, Pastor Sonny. And there's a, a team. Pastor Sunny is my mentor. Uh, there's a team from Living Hope Christian Center. Uh, from Emeryville, California, that they're doing a missions trip to Indonesia right now. So Pastor Sunny's there over with Mickey Cho and a, a few other brothers and sisters. And I just want to take a moment to pray for him because I told her I will pray for her. <laughs> All right. And so let me do that. Uh, just bow your heads with me. Lord, I just pray for uh, Pastor Sonny and the missions team from Living Hope that's in Indonesia right now. Uh, just as you have spoken over her, that she will operate at a new level. She would operate at a greater level of authority. That's greater signs and wonders and miracles will manifest. God, we pray, Lord, that you will run, your word will run swiftly through her and through this trip, and that we will see and hear great testimonies of people getting healed, people coming to salvation, a fire of revival falling upon Indonesia. We just pray, God, blessings upon Pastor Sunny and her team right now. Yeah, just build them up, strengthen them on this Lord's Day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Turn with me to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. And I'm going to read. I'm going to read from verse. I'll just read from verse 1, and I'm going to stop at verse 6. Here we go. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Amen. According to verse 6, who do you belong to? Say, I belong to Jesus Christ. The word of God says that if you have put your trust, you put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And God gives the Holy Spirit to you as a deposit. Now, I'm not just talking about a bank deposit, but I'm talking about a deposit that is an assurance of full payment. The Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing the everlasting life that is to come. And the Bible also says that if you put your faith in Christ, that means that you belong to Christ. If this if, if this is if this is the arms of Christ right here is where you belong. You belong to Christ. This is where you belong. Everybody say, this is where you belong. belong. In Song Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 3, it's a famous verse. Many of us know it. I am my beloved's and he is mine. I am my beloved's and he is mine. You don't know that song? It's an oldie. Now, all you backsliders don't know that song. (laughs) But those of us who are faithful in the church all these years, we know that song. I am my beloved, and He is my. All right, that comes from Song of Solomon, chapter six, verse three, and it's true. If you put your faith in Christ, you belong to Christ, and He belongs to you. I mean, I mean, you know, it's a different sense than, you know, It's not you know, but yeah, you belong. He belongs to you. Um, Mark 9:41, Jesus said, "Truly, I say to you." Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So there's that concept again of us belonging to Christ. And because you belong to Christ, the Bible tells us that nothing can separate you from his love. There are some well-meaning Christians that read the Bible in a funny way. Okay, now maybe not in a funny way. But they don't read their Bible. They read their Bible in a different way. And they come to these conclusions that you can lose your salvation. That if you do not persevere as a good Christian, if you don't walk in the word of God, you can lose your salvation. So therefore, there are certain churches that will teach. uh, If you say, "I, I, I became a Christian... For me, for example, I became a Christian between 4th and 5th grade through summer vacation Bible school. Hey, don't despise those VBS programs, all right? You know, the Kung Fu Panda, whatever they're doing these days. Those things are powerful, all right? You know, one day, I mean, I went to those things. All I was doing was fighting other kids. We were learning Taekwondo, vacation, you know, Korean vacation Bible school. You know, they, they put in Taekwondo in there. I'm learning Taekwondo. I'm, like, fighting with other kids. And then on one of those days, the chun Do Sanim, she, it was a female chun Do Sanim. She gave the gospel presentation and she said, if you want to receive Christ, stand to your feet. And and nobody stood. But I remember all I know, I just felt this uneasiness and burning in my heart. And I said, I got to stand up. So I stood up. And then she said, sit down. So I sat down. And then she said, for those who stood up, come to my office after the service. So I went to her office. And then right there, she led me in a prayer to receive Christ. And then one year later, the next summer, she sent me a little certificate saying, You are a Christian. Congratulations. (laughs) That's how I received Christ. And some people, you know, you guys receive Christ in different ways. Some people don't really know the exact date on which they got saved. That's okay. That's all right. You know, like none of the 12 disciples, you know, knew when they got saved. There was no, like, moment in which they prayed a sinner's prayer and got saved. They just followed Jesus, and they didn't even know what that really meant in the beginning. And they have deeper revelations of that. And for some people, that's their story. You you just kind of follow Jesus, but then you get deeper revelations of that, right? But an important thing is that you are following Jesus. There's got to be a commitment. A commitment. There's got to be a faith that's committed, you know what I mean? It can't be just a mental assent. Oh, yeah, I agree with Christianity. That doesn't get you saved. All right, it's, it's a willful decision you make to follow Jesus. Um, and some people believe that uh, some churches will teach you that if you pray this kind of sinner's prayer or you make this decision to follow Christ and then you backslide real hard like our brother Diddy over here <laughs> or you backslide real hard like, like even my wife here, all right? Let's just be real, okay? Her testimony is she received Christ at a young age. And then the devil just lied to her and just attacked her. And then she had this long period of backsliding where she became a kleptomaniac. Do you know what that is? Okay. That's where you steal stuff. And you just steal and you get good at stealing. And she got caught a couple of times. Almost got charged with a felony. Because in New York State, if you get caught with $1,000 worth of merchandise, it's considered a felony. It goes on your record. She just had like $998 worth of merchandise, something like that. And the Lord's grace was on her. But man, she, she had a in time and some churches will tell you if you, have, if you were living backslidden in these years, that means you need to get saved again. You need to boor, get born again and again. And we need to water baptize you again because there's all this sin and we need to wash it off or something. I don't know what the concept is, all right? Or if you uh, grew up in a Catholic church, Catholics will tell you That you can never be assured of your salvation. That you get the sacraments when you're born as a baby. They believe that original sin, the baby's born with original sin. You know, we agree with it, but we believe in a different doctrine of original sin. And then through baby baptism, you wash the original sin. And then from there, as the baby grows up, the baby has to continue in the grace of God that helps to save that person through partaking in the church's sacraments. So in the uh, certain period in church history, to be excluded from the Catholic Church meant you were going to hell because you didn't have access to the graces, the sacraments by which you can get saved. And then, you know, in the Catholic Church, they teach you, you know, it's not in the Bible, but because they also read the Apocrypha, there are certain teachings that you can pull out from the Apocrypha uh, about these teachings on purgatory. All right. And so if you didn't really do a very good job of partaking in the sacraments, and you didn't do a good job of confessing all your sins, and you died suddenly or something like that, then you might end up in purgatory. A place where it's kind of like in between. And you got, you got to get purged of all your sins, and then you make it up to heaven. Okay, Now, you know, it's, it, it would will, it will be really nice to believe in that. You know, it would be really nice to believe in that. But it, you're not going to find support for that in the scriptures. You might pull it out of the Apocrypha, you might want to keep believing it because it's in the tradition of the Catholic Church, but you're not going to find it in the Bible. In fact, the Bible teaches assurance of salvation. It teaches some parts where it looks like you've got to work out your salvation, but that's a misunderstanding of the Greek word sozo. All right? There is an aspect in which we work out our salvation, but believe me, you do it from a place where you're already saved. It is a gift. God doesn't give the gift in increments you know here's my gift of everlasting life I'm afraid that you might backslide so here I'm just going to give you 20% today 20% 5 years from now no when God gives it he gives it to you it's the gift of everlasting life and so we believe in most of evangelical Christianity that has been largely influenced by the reformers and through the reformed theology of the reformers we believe in assurance of salvation and therefore, we take the verse literally. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons. Nothing in all of creation, neither the past, present, can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I teach here at this house, once you belong to Christ, a nobody can snatch you out of his hand. Isn't that good news to you? That means even your foolish knuckle-headed ways cannot snatch you out of his hand. That's awesome news because many of you in here, you're backslidden. All right, that's right. A lot of backsliders in here that came back to Jesus through our ministry. And if you really were saved, we tell you, hey, you don't have to get saved again. We're just going to establish you in the truth that Satan lied to you about. So, yeah, you cannot unbelong to Christ. Once you belong to Him, nothing can separate you. Now, what does it look like to belong to Christ? I think that's a good question to ask. I believe to belong to Christ means that you have a new nature. God gives you a new heart, a new spirit, new thinking, new habits. New kinds of relationships. You are a new creation. The old has gone. The old has gone. The new has come. That means that there are old ways that we need to dissociate ourselves from. Now, because we are creatures of habits, we, we need some time even after we get saved. It's not like an instant thing. You know, the instant thing is called Justification. That is your, the gift of everlasting life. That's instant. The moment you receive Christ, that's it. You're justified. And if you really want to get deep, you know that it happened before you were born. Anyway, <laughs> justification is instant. But sanctification is worked out throughout your lifetime. That is the process of un- unlearning your old ways. Because before you got a revelation of who Jesus really is, you got set. You, got, you have to survive for yourself. You have to learn how to make it because the world is pretty you know, jacked up. And they do some jacked up things. They say some jacked up things to you. And if you just don't know how to survive, then you're just going to not make it. So there's ways in which you get set. And these are your, your psyche. Your psych, that's why we have the study of psychology. Psychology is really the study of how man deals with life apart from God. In a lot of ways. And then there are studies of how man deals with life with God. Gets, that gets kind of sprinkled into psychology. But it's mostly how man deals with life without God. And so you have this soul. The Greek, we call it psyche, which, which is where we get the word psychology. And when you become a new creation, God has to purge these soulish ways out of you. Your old ways out of you. And so the Word of God says um, things like Ephesians 4.22. Put off your old self. Put off your soulish ways. It says put off your old self which belongs to your former nature of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. When you belong to Christ, that means that these deceitful desires no longer belong to you. When you belong to Christ, you have a new nature in which you walk. You know, some people will say, well, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if anyone, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You see, the reason why I struggle and the reason why I'll never break this struggle, the reason why I'll always just be a sinner until I get to heaven is because, really, I'm just a slave to sin. Jesus said it. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And oftentimes, that's what religion will give you. Because religion wants to beat you down. Religion wants to keep you humble and keep you broke. I forget how Pastor Benjamin said it. There's like a black Pentecostal way of saying it. Anyway, religion always wants to try to keep you, keep you down, keep you humble, and keep you broke. But if you read the rest of the Bible, it doesn't end there. Jesus said, everyone who sins is safe to sin. But in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, it says we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Oh, come on. Where's the religious spirit on that verse? Some people stay at that revelation. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Oh, that's my revelation. Oh, I'm just a slave to sin. I just need to stay humble because I'm weak. I'm a sinner. And they need to keep reading their Bible. Because yeah. if you keep reading your Bible, you'll get to Romans chapter 6. And it says, Jesus, the same person who said that, He died on the cross for you so that you will no longer be slaves to sin. Yeah. The sinful ways don't belong to you. You don't belong to those sinful ways. Who do you belong to? You belong to Jesus. So... This is what we got to do with sin. Whenever Satan comes to you and he rings your doorbell, ding dong. Package. I got a package here for Doug. Package here for Billy. It's a big one. I think you want to take a look. It's, it's a package. Right? We don't even need to open that door. We just say, Satan, I know that's you. That's not my package. That package doesn't belong to me. I belong to Christ. You know, but you know, what what, do Christians do? Oh, let me see what's inside. (laughs) I love packages. You know, let me just, let me just, you know, let me just take a peek. Let me just click my mouse once. Let me just open the magazine. Just let me take a let me see what kind of weird, deceitful things are out there. Let me see what kind of jacked up sinful things are out there. And you, it for you. next thing you know, the package is all over you. <laughs> and Satan's trying to deceive you about your very identity. He tells you, Man, look at you. You're not a Christian. You don't belong to Christ. If you belong to Christ, why would you be doing this? You're just a little hypocrite. You're you're Judas Is- Iscariot. You're you know you're B- you, you you turn your back on Jesus over and over again. You know and he tries to get get at your identity and the moment you begin to believe that that's when he can establish a stronghold by which you perpetuated those sins. Galatians 5:24 says, "Those who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh and its passions with, uh, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Do you belong to Christ? Say this is where I belong. This is where I, belong. I, have I have crucified the flesh. If you belong to Christ, that means you belong to Him for all of eternity. And that means he's given you a new nature. And those old sinful desires are no longer yours. They don't belong to you. All right, I'm going to go to my second point. First point is you belong to Christ. My second point is uh, turn to Exodus 19. It's a really good verse. Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. Let me read that. I'm going to read from the ESV. Now, therefore, if indeed you... Sorry. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure possession among all peoples. Right? You belong to Christ, right? You are his belonging. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be... To me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. First point is you belong to Christ. Second point is you belong to the kingdom. God has chosen you out of all the peoples of the earth. He's chosen you not just to be individuals that believe in Christ, but He's chosen you to raise you up as a kingdom, a nation, an ethnos, a people that does not have a geographic boundary, but they all share the same allegiance to the same king. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, I know that The literal plain reading is applies to Israel. All right. But you have to understand that the word of God is living and active. The word can have more meanings than what it just appears. And I'm learning in my church history class, man, this allegorical way of reading things. It's it's very slandered. It's very looked down upon. But man, if you study church history, man, all of our great church fathers did it. All right? I know Origen, he, he, um, he's the one who said, just as the human body is uh, like body, soul, and spirit, so, th- so the Word of God also has a body, soul, and spirit. The Word of God has a literal meaning, it has a moral meaning, and then it has the spiritual revelation. The mystery of the kingdom is there. And when I read that, I was like, hallelujah! I was getting all excited. But you guys know, Origen doesn't have the best reputation in church history, right? Because he got a little too crazy speculative. And so a lot of... Uh, historians will say that Origen went off in the deep end. But it wasn't just Origen. It was Ambrose of Milan, the guy through whose sermon Augustine came to Christ. It was August, Augustine himself who had this three- or four-fold way of reading the scriptures. Anyway, man, the jury's still out about this, but you know what I've noticed is I've already been doing interpretation in these kind of... you know. Unsafe ways, dangerous ways that some, you know, evangelical scholars will label it. But when it comes down to it, man, if you don't read the scripture like it's living and active, if you don't, if you don't interpret it, if all you do is interpret it historically, uh, if you interpret it uh, just in a literally, man- a literal, literary manner with grammar studies and word study, if that's the only way you interpret it, you're going to miss the revelation that's there. You're supposed to interpret it with the Holy Spirit. But, you know, I believe that the more mature you are, the more you're able to handle these things in a sound way. Because I also know about the stories of people who have very strange interpretations, who takes these types of origins, teachings, and say, oh, I'm tempering the Bible like our church fathers did. But then they come up with all kinds of foolishness. That's usually a person who has an orphan spirit, rebellious spirit, independent spirit. You know, they just want to go around, interpret the word of God the the way, whatever they want, with no accountability. Anyway, I'm I'm, I'm sorry. Let's come back, right? This originally was spoken to the Israelites. But because the word of God is living and active, this word is being fulfilled, I believe, today through the church. It was fulfilled to a certain degree in the people of Israel. But it's being fulfilled in its fullness in the church. And we are a kingdom of priests. You belong to the kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew nineteen fourteen, He said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Those who have that childlike heart, Jesus said, belongs to the kingdom of heaven. Little children belong to the kingdom of heaven. This is where you belong. You are a kingdom. A kingdom of priests. A kingdom of warriors. A kingdom that is out to confront another kingdom. We belong to the kingdom. Say, this is where I belong. belong. We belong to the kingdom. Turn to Romans 7, verse 4. Romans 7, verse 4. All right, let's go. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, I mean, belong to one another, you know, that's kind of what I'm saying, right? Belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Not only is Christianity, you know, about believing, we have to understand that Christianity is about Belonging. Christianity is about belonging. And here, the word is saying that you may belong to another. You may belong to another. Now, I'm, I'm interpreting that to mean that you may belong to one another, to each other. And I, I think I did the study right. But let me come back to that. All right. I don't have to use this as my main text. All right. That kind of threw me off just there. Belong to another. All right? I don't think that's talking about Jesus. So that you may belong to another. To another. (laughs) Anyway, I I can use other main texts. Anyway. Uh, In the NASB, it says, so that you might be joined to, you might be joined to another. Now, this morning, a very wise man said, God is relational. And he desires for us to be Relational. That's a powerful word, huh? It was said by our backslider, Diddy Kang here, when he was leading Sunday Swim this morning. He said, God is relational and he wants us to be relational. Meaning that in the book of Genesis, when God created the world, he didn't say, let me create man in my image. If you look inside the Hebrew, it actually is plural. Plural. God says to himself, Let us make man in our image. Who is is God talking to there? Is he talking to Satan before he fell? Is he talking to the archangel uh, Michael? To Gabriel? You know, hey, let us make man in our image. No! Because God is a triune God, God by nature is relational. And it was out of the overflow of his intimacy within the triune Godhead that he decided, man, this is so good. This love that we have here, man, this is so good. We need to, we need to share it. And so they created man in God's image so that we would have the capacity not only to run and eat and, and, and jump and run like the animals do, but that we can love, that we would have Moral capacity, you know, man. No matter how smart of a monkey you have, monkeys are monkeys. Monkeys do not have a very good moral capacity. You know, they might feel some emotion. You know, even little dogs can feel emotion. You know, you beat the dog. You know, the dogs going not feel sad. <laughs> you know, you you try to touch. The, yeah, I, I remember my trial Whenever he used to eat, you know, I would take a broomstick and I'll kind of put it, put it near the bowl. And every dog instinctually says, Arr! <laughs> Arr! She's a little chihuahua, man. Dogs don't play, all right? They get angry like that, but it's not because, you know, you know. it's not because they have more capacity. It's because, man, you're trying to steal their food. And you're, you're like, man. And my dog's name was Lily. Lily, what's wrong with you? Don't you know I'm the one who gave you that food? Oh, I'll poke you if I want. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Why should you keep doing that? Lily, come on. Um, Lily would just... You know, But animals don't have more capacity, man. Animals don't have the capacity to build, to create, to have dominion. Right? Have you ever watched TV, watched YouTube? Man has subdued... right? I talked about one week. I talked about killer whales. I mean, who thought of that? Who ever thought, man, I think we can tame a killer whale. And I think we can swim with it. And he will push us up and make us do flips and then we can start a theme park around it. I mean, who ever thought of that? I want to be in the room when they thought of that idea. But anyway, they did it. Man did it. Crazy. They tamed elephants. And that's why we have movies like Dumbo. You know, and they try to create a movie around an elephant having the moral capacities and the emotion capacities of a human. You know, like, you know, you know elephants, man, I don't know anything. They're just getting beaten. they like, stop beating me. Hey, you know, they don't even think of that. They're just getting beaten, beat, stop. Do whatever it takes not to get beat. You know, and, and, and an elephant, once you've tamed it, there's a chain usually around this foot. But once you've tamed it, you can take the chain off. The elephant won't move within the radius that you set. Man, I've never seen a monkey do that. I've never seen a chimpanzee taming a killer whale. You will never see that because animals are not created in God's image. But man is. And when man created man, I mean, when God created man, <laughs> he said, let us create man in our image. Meaning, I'm relational and when I create anything in my image, they're going to be relational too. You know, so even if you've been hurt all your life, no matter no matter how much you want to deny it, human beings are creatures of social, they value social value, connection. <laughs> they're social beings is what I'm trying to say. We learned that in ethics class, all right? Hey, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, they're all social because we're created in God's image. We're created to be relational. Now, if you ever watched animals? You ever watch Animal Channel? Man, it looks like animals are loyal to each other, right? But when that cheetah comes, see ya! <laughs> Ain't no loyalty in that! But what do you see the Marines doing, you know? Marines, one of their men go down and they go there, take their bullet, you know, they take the grenade, try to save somebody. I've never seen... A zebra do that for another. There's no loyalty. There's no, they're, they're, they're not relational creatures, all right? But God has created us to be relational. Now, now, what I'm trying to say is, as God has set you apart to be his people, the Greek word "ecclesia" means called out ones. The word church has a strange history I'm learning right now. So church is not like a literal translation of ecclesia. It's the closest thing, or it's it's one given to us by tradition. But the literal meaning it comes from ek, and the uh, uh, Hebrew noun uh, meaning called out, uh, to call out, I call out. Ek call, is out from. Like that's where you get ecstasy. You know, ecstasy is a state of where you feel out of your body. You know. Well, anyway, <laughs> ecclesia simply means called out once. God has called us out of the world. He's made us a people who are called out once to belong to each other. Not only do we belong to Christ, not only belong to his kingdom, we belong to one another. And so I have to break down Romans 7, 4, but if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have the beautiful imagery of a physical body. And Paul uses this imagery to say that we are the body of Christ. Symbolically, figuratively, just as you have a physical body with different parts, the church is the body of Christ. And it has its different parts. But what we have to understand as Christians is we're not just called to believe. We're called to belong. When God calls you to be a Christian, he doesn't call you to be a low ranger Christian. There's no such thing as a low ranger Christian. You are called to belong to a local church. You are called to belong to a local family. You know, any knucklehead can say, I belong to the universal church. (laughs) Capital C Church. The invisible church. All right, And I I used to say the same thing. I used to say, man, that's where it's at. It's not about the local church, the small C. It's about the capital C. We got to build the capital C. That's why we got to do evangelism missions because it's all about the capital C. It's about the the invisible church building the invisible kingdom of God, the big universal Catholic church, the big universal church. Right? That's what I used to say too. But if you read the Bible, that word ecclesia is not used to refer to the universal church. Most and majority of the time, it's used to refer to a local church. Even in the book of Revelation, when Jesus indicts these seven churches there, he indicts actual churches as symbolic of symptoms that other churches will probably experience later on. He indicts them all. That word place, that word church is oftentimes referring to the local church. And when you are set apart, God calls you to belong to a local church. That's what sonship is all about. Now, here at New Philly, we talk about this concept called sonship all the time. And it comes from scripture, right? God has not given you a spirit of, uh, that makes you a slave again to fear, but the spirit of adoption as sons, right? And the NIV says, a spirit of sonship by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are sons of God. Apostle Paul says, those who are led by the spirit of God are called sons of God, right? The spirit... The, uh, the uh, concept son, sonship, is all over the Bible. So we're not just children of God. We're sons. Because children, you just have the image of children and childlike hearts and children. I mean, let's play. Let's, you know, holy laughter. Let's praise. Let's dance. And I'm all for that. Praise the Lord. I like being a child of God in his presence. But a son, a mature son, has certain responsibilities, is entrusted with certain authorities, is charged with certain assignments. And so I've, I've have a, I I have put a lot of value in the concept of sonship, not just being a child of God. I call people sons, even if they are acting immature, childish as a Christian. I say, man, you are a son. Rise up. There's an inheritance for you to possess. Now I know, I know in this in this church, if you notice, you know when I pray for even a sister, I'll say, you are a son. The Spirit of the Lord says, you are in sonship. You are a son. You are a precious son. They're like. Um, I have long hair and long eyelashes and please, that's a little offensive. I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, all right, but why do I stick with the concept of sonship? Because sons in ancient history, even in today's, in today's society, all right, sons get the inheritance, And in that sense, we are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. You have an inheritance to possess. But here's the thing about the inheritance. The inheritance is placed within the body of Christ. It's placed in the church. So if you want to get your inheritance, you got to relate to the body of Christ. You got to be committed to a local house. You got to learn how to relate to your brothers and sisters. Even when it's difficult, even when you feel misunderstood, even if you don't like the way the, the, the spiritual father of the house looks like, you don't like the way the pastor is doing things. If God's called you be, for, for you to be in that house, you got to learn how to relate to that house. Because God has called you to belong to another. You know, um, Pastor John Michael over at ETA1, he um, serves at orphanages in Korea. And if, you ever really, if you've ever gone and done orphanage ministry, you know that when you go to the orphanage, you're not supposed to call them orphans. But like, Oh, hi, look at this orphan. Look at that orphan. You're not supposed to do that. I didn't know that when I first went to India. I was like, oh, what a beautiful orphanage you have. And the orphanage directors never call it an orphanage. They call it a children's home. Why? Because they're doing all this work to break off the symptoms of what orphans usually go through. Feeling abandoned, feeling like they can't trust people, you know, walls up and all that stuff. They're trying to break that down and you come and you just establish it by calling them an orphan. It doesn't really help them. So they call it a children's home. So John Michael, he uh, serves at uh, a children's home here in Korea. And one thing he's always pointed out is that if you go to India, man, there's like so many orphans. Sometimes we just don't know what their story is. You know, there's all kinds of poverty and corruption there. So parents can get murdered one night. Next thing you know, the child's out on his own and, and an orphanage will come pick him up, you know? Or, or, or we also know, you know, some dog millionaire, right? If you saw that movie, that's like true stories. If you, we've been on several trips to India. You go to the local train station. What do you see? Jamal. Is that you, Jamal? You know? you know? Jamal's one of the characters in Slumdog Men in there. Yeah, what's wrong with that? That's not insulting or anything. All right? You're thinking, man, this is just like the movie. There's all of these slum kids and then on certain areas, they'll be begging. And the, and the kids that are lucky, they can see, they can walk, and they have arms. But the ones that are not so lucky... They have a chopped off limb. They'll be blind. Because these gangsters will pick up these orphans. And or, when you're an orphan, you're very vulnerable. And they're lied to them, they're tricked them. Next thing you know, they use them for sex, use them for money, use them for begging. It's terrible, right? So, I mean, in India, you know, there's a lot of these orphanages have a lot of orphans. But in Korea, John Michael always points out that the Korean orphanages. There are not many true orphans, meaning that they're not true orphans. So if you go up to them and you say, oh, you know, I remember I used to play soccer with them and, and our church used to beat those orphans in soccer, by the way, make sure we beat the orphans in soccer. They were going. I can't, I can't pastor a church that loses to a team of orphans. All right. Anyway, all right. All right. Uh, but yeah, we go out to dinner with them after the soccer match. Actually, I think they did, they did beat us like once or twice. Yeah, but we let them win, right? I think we let them win. And Danny Suck was injured that day. It's not our fault. Uh, and, you, and, and I remember having dinner with them, and I'll, I'll be like, man, I, I felt like I didn't know about this whole concept of children's homes and stuff. I thought all of them were orphans. And so I'm just like, man, what happened? What's your story? All right. They're like, yeah, well, my mom is in uh, Busan. My dad is in Daejeon. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm not buying you a meal. Tell your dad to transfer you some money. You know, but I was like, what are you talking about? You got a dad and a mom. Well, like, yeah, I mean, you know, they got divorced. And they, they couldn't, they didn't, neither of them could take care of me. So they, so they put me at the orphanage. Or, or the, the parents would be together. And they have four siblings. And they were the fifth... No, it, it would be like they have four siblings, but they were the third sibling. And so the, the parents kept the first and second and the fourth and fifth, but not the third. So what? What kind of logic? What did the parents do? What did the poor child do? What did he do? Well, you know, well, I'm, I'm the third child, but they didn't want me. So they can't afford me. So they put me at this orphanage. And so there's a lot of stories like that at the children's homes, right? There's, there's not many true orphans in the children's homes here. Um, but still, they struggle with that orphan spirit, right? Well, just like the Korean children's homes, I believe the church has very few true orphans. You hear what I'm saying? Meaning that there are a lot of people that bounce around from house to house. And they look like an orphan. And they come to our service. I hey, little child, are you lost? What are you looking for? They're like, don't talk to me. I don't like pastors. You know? And, and they're checking out different churches. They're bouncing around different churches. They're acting like orphans. But when it comes down to it, there are no true orphans in the universal church of God. Everyone that belongs to Christ is a son. They're just sons who have not realized their identity as a son. The devil has so lied to them and hurt them, abused them, deceived them, that although they are a son, they act and behave and see themselves as orphans. Pur pitiful orphans and that is a lie of the enemy i don't care what your christian experience has been like however many years you've been a christian but the truth of the matter is there are no true orphans in the kingdom of god there are no true orphans in the church in the true universal church and the way that we break off the orphan spirit from the sons is we establish them as sons in a family of God. A visible family. I can say to you all I want. You are a son of the universal church. You're a son of the universal church. And then you leave church and you hop around other churches. You're never going to experience sonship. You're never going to experience intimacy with other brothers and sisters, with other sons and daughters. You're never going to experience that. Because you're constantly just going from one place to another, one place to another, just like an orphan does. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Now check this out. Listen to this. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me. And I in you. Now there's a way in which you can read that verse and just take it personally and individually. But here's the problem. If personally and individually all you struggle with is an orphan spirit and you, you say Christ is in me and the Father is in Christ, and so the Father must be also in me, and you look inside you and all you see is an orphan ways, orphan behavior, orphan habits, you're going to get a weird image of God. You hear what I'm saying? How do you break out of that? You look at other sons. Because why? Sons, as Pastor Myunga preached last year, Sons manifest the Father. Jesus did that for us when he came on the earth 2,000 years ago. But here's the thing. Jesus is still doing that for us through his people. Sons manifest the Father. So if you want to break out of your orphan ways, you've got to learn how to relate to mature sons that are in the body of Christ. This is where you belong. In a community. In a family. And let me tell you right now, Jesus didn't die for a girlfriend, right? He didn't die for a uh, a little bit of dating uh, pleasure, a little bit of dating rush. He died for a bride. A permanent covenant. One that will last throughout all of eternity. He sealed it with his blood. You know, here's a little revelation for you. For everyone in here that is truly in Christ, they have the spirit of God in them and they're truly in Christ. When you get to heaven or when when there's the culmination of new heaven and new earth and we live for all of eternity in our glorified state, right? When we live for all of eternity, guess what? They're going to be there too. Even the ones you don't like. They're going to be there. And you probably will spend time with some of these guys. I mean, I'm sure there'll be a lot of millions of people up there, right? A million people that will, that will be there for all of eternity. But look, man, you got to talk to them, man. And if you really avoid them, Jesus is just right there. Jesus would be like, uh, Isaac, let's have a talk right here. Do you, really, do you really love me? Then talk to my sheep. Talk to your brothers and sisters. Go talk to David Arn. He's actually a precious young man. Don't let that misunderstanding that you had on earth keep bothering you right now. You know, by the way, you're not gonna get memory loss. You know, when you get glorified, you know, you're not gonna be like, yeah, now I can forget all of the pain, all of the misery. No, you're not gonna get memory loss. You're not gonna get amnesia. You're gonna remember everything. Now, compared to the experiences you will have then, it will kind of overshadow a lot of that. But if you haven't properly dealt with it, man, it's gonna be all be there. Anyway, what's my point, right? This is where you belong. You belong in Christ. You belong in his kingdom. And you belong to his people. You belong to the church. And that's why our church, we have things like uh, our membership class. But we believe it's not just about attendance. We're not running a movie theater here, right? If all we want to do is increase the attendance... All right, there's little things that we can do. We can get rid of prayer. Why? Because prayer freaks some of the people out. The way we pray, you know, I'm telling you, some of the newcomers, they're telling me, man, I saw y'all praying. I was like, I'm not coming back. But then that same week, I was like intrigued by the way you prayed. And I was like, I've never seen a church pray like that. Let me just go back just to see it one more time. And people, if we want maximum attendance, man, we'll get rid of certain things. We'll get rid of my sermon. No, I'm just saying, because newcomers, they're not used to a one-hour sermon. And no matter how much I try to end at 50 minutes, we're on to 54 already, right? We're not running a movie theater here. We are building up a family. And so there are certain things that the sons and daughters will tolerate that a visitor may not. But here's the thing. You may not really be just a visitor. Let me, let me just give you a practical word of advice before I close, right? Check this out. We got our retreat coming up in one month, right? We got two hundred, like almost 220 people signed up for this retreat. We're really excited. It's going to be powerful. Last year we had 175 people, right? It's going to be even more this time. It's going to be powerful. There's going to be a lot of people there. There's going to be people from other churches that are also going to come. And we, we're going to bless them to come and join us and then go back and be a blessing to our church. It's going to be awesome. But let me tell you something right now. If you come to the retreat as a visitor you'll be blessed. As a guest, you'll be blessed. But if you go to the retreat as a son, oh, it's game over. Can I tell you that right now? Let me tell you that right now. I'll tell you that right now. David Ahn, right? David Ahn, last year, because of the tsunami in Japan, he was doing a mission trip with Campus Crusade in Japan. He got evacuated, and he had to come to Korea. So he was here for a few weeks, and he joined us for our retreat. David came as a guest and got mega blessed. He just got so blessed that when he went back to Japan, uh, whatever he would ride his bike, he would just listen to all of our downloads of our sermons. He just downloaded all these sermons. And it's so funny. I'm getting emails right now, steady emails. Like every three days, I'm getting an email of people that have this crazy appetite. They download a 100 sermons at a time, and then they'll listen to it in two weeks. I'm like, what kind of... Do you have a job? How do you do that? How do you do that? You know, and David's just like listening to all of our sermons. And he just, he just so something got awakened in him. And that happened to him as a guest. But David doesn't know what's going to happen to him this year. Because he's going to this retreat as a son. Guests, they get trickle blessings. They get complimentary gifts, (laughs) complimentary blessings. Here, you know, you're a guest. You know, we don't know when we're going to see you again. Here's a blessing. But sons, they get the inheritance. Guests, they can get $5 in their pocket of, of, of wisdom, $5 of revelation. But sons have access to the bank account. Not, not in the physical, alright? You ain't touching my money. Keep it to the spiritual, alright? Sit right there. You belong to Christ. You belong to the kingdom. You belong to one another. You belong to one another. We are the body of Christ. Let's pray. Yeah, the praise team come up and uh, lead us in the closing song. I believe there are people in here today, when I say that word orphan, you kind of cringe. Because that word, whether you like it or not, it best summarizes your Christian experience. You've gone to certain local houses. You've gone to certain churches and you've served your heart out. You have sacrificed. You have given your all. And you still feel like you're broke. You still felt uh, you were despised. You weren't celebrated. You weren't recognized. You weren't honored for your contributions. And you said, forget this. And you decided to go searching for another home searching for another church. But here's the thing, Satan, when he saw you searching for that other church, he took hold of that opportunity to extend that time of transition beyond what God had ordained it. And so you've been in between for many, many years. And you've been wondering why your Christian life is so full of defeat, so full of shame. So full of confusion. And God the Father is saying, you're not an orphan. You are a son. I have a rich inheritance that I want to give you. It is an inheritance that cannot run out. Everything that I have is yours. But you gotta stop hopping around and get established in sonship. You gotta get established, and yes, you have to learn to relate to the rest of your brothers and sisters. Some of them are easy to love because they're mature, others are not so easy to love, but you are to still love them because we're all one family. And everyone is saved by the same grace that I've dispensed. You're not better than someone else. You're just at a different place of maturity. So I'll stand to our feet.